Welcome back to the In The Know On The Go podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with John Droppett from Dairy Australia. And I thought after hearing some interesting stats coming through about the Aussie dairy industry, both at the farm gate and at the consumer end, John, I thought I'd come and have a chat to you because I think there's, there's some bloody interesting stats as we'll uncover. But firstly, mate, how are you this morning? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ollie. And, and yeah, thanks for your interest. Always happy to talk about dairy. John, how long have you been with Dairy Australia for? I'm, I'm coming up 11 years now. So yeah, a little while if, if you know if you see the any of the photos you're likely to put up i, I started as a 12 year old and that's it's only been good for my youthful looks ever since <laughs> and and what have you well i guess what got you into the dairy industry and and the role with dairy australia yeah i grew up on a dairy farm and and my parents spent most of their effort telling me to get out of the dairy industry and and, not, and especially not to work for dairy australia and because uh, you know they, they didn't like paying levies and so i was never a rebellious child for some reason, just the, the, the interest in, in the industry. It's, it's a fascinating industry, especially once you've been in it and you get out of it and then you're sort of looking back. It's one of those things that I'm sure I didn't appreciate as a kid. It's such an idiosyncratic and kind of, again, interesting place that there's a lot to dig into. And, and that's why I found myself sort of drifting back. I did a little bit of time in banking, but yeah, came back to dairy and, and, and the role at DA, I just, I'd, I'd cold called them to ask for some work experience when I was at uni. And so I did a week unpaid while I was completing that. And, uh, and then when the role came up, I knew them, they knew me. So I, I knew I wanted to apply for it and it was much more interesting than banking for me anyway. And the rest is history, but can you just touch on what is the role of Dairy Australia for the dairy industry? So Dairy Australia is a national service body for, for dairy farmers. So research development and extension all fall within that, that purview. You know, there's, there's separate advocacy organizations that do the political sort of head kicking as well. But yeah, Dairy Australia is really around that, that research development extension piece. So let's chat about the last 12 months or so in the Aussie dairy industry. The report you guys released, I think it was last week or the week before, is showing that there's been a decrease of about four to 6% in total milk supply. So. Is this a continuing trend or was this just due to seasonal conditions? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a longer term trend than one season. We've, we've certainly seen it wax and wane over the years, but you know, Australian milk production peaked in, in 2001, two at about 11.2 billion liters. It, you know, it, it went down during the droughts through the, through the noughties there. And then it really kind of plateaued through the 2010s until 2016. And we saw some, you know, major changes in the industry with, you know, the milk price step downs that uh, obviously farmers will remember. Other people might remember hearing about them, but, you know, the, the major co-op at the time, you know, effectively went broke in the, in the wake of that. And, and so since then, there's been a, you know, a range of factors contributed to milk production falling. And one, one of them's been, you know, farmers have been exhausted with the whole thing. And we've seen a lot of older farmers, you know, retiring. I've seen other farmers pushing into beef. You know, because beef markets have been really, really strong. So, you know, you'd have to milk beef cows. It's much, uh, much east lifestyle. And, you know, dairy farmers are well set up for that because of the skills they have in growing grass and animal husbandry and that. And more recently, particularly since COVID, you know, labor's been an issue, just getting enough people on farm and, you know, with backpackers sort of disappearing during COVID, that was one less, one less source of labor, you know, and a whole lot of other factors really tightening up that, that workforce. And so, you know, you had farmers who were sort of, uh, pretty exhausted with the whole thing, as I said, all of a sudden having to do more work themselves because they cannot get people to do it. You know, that just amplifies that exhaustion. And so I think we've seen this over the last three or four years, we've seen farms continuing to exit and milk production dropping, even, even when, you know, profitability has been pretty good. Of course, the floods, you know, floods don't help either, but I think, you know, it's probably a little bit bigger than just that. I think, yeah, it's interesting kind of what you're touching on. There's been, I guess, the key little shock events, but then these 
these longer term stresses that we're seeing. Is there cause for concern with just the, the decrease, I guess, of people exiting the dairy industry and that dropping milk price? Yeah, it's a good question. And we're actually doing some research on, on bringing it all together at the moment. And I'll kind of explain why. For, for a milk processor, it's a huge concern. You know, they've got big fixed investments in, you know, manufacturing plant. They've got markets they've developed over many years that they're selling product into. And if they can't get enough products, you know, they're, they're in a bit of a spot of bother. And, you know, the typical response of farmers to that, including my parents, has always been, well, we'll pay us more and, we'll, and you'll get more milk. You're fair enough. But in the last couple of years, you know, we've seen the milk price pushing, you know, new new highs and we'll probably talk about that. But the milk hasn't been forthcoming. So I think there's a lot of pressure on that processing processing sector. From a farmer's point of view, it's, it's a bit of a mixed story. So if you're an individual farmer in a dairy region that's well-serviced, and there's less milk around and your milk price is higher as a result of that, it's not so bad. But if you're in, if you're in a region where there's a very few farms, dairy farms left, you're at the long, you know, the end of a long road or something like that, you, you know, you struggle to get milking machine technicians all of a sudden, you know, you struggle, struggle to get, um, you know, good qualified dairy vets and all these other kind of specialist services. So if the industry hollows out by losing milk production, that can, that can really start to impact you. And, and that's not even, without, you know, without getting into the. The longer term things like, you know, if the government's negotiating a trade agreement with, you know, with another country and dairy's got some concerns that wants to put on the table, you know, if the dairy industry is less significant, then all of a sudden, you know, those concerns are, are a lower priority. And, you know, if the dairy industry is really growing and, and, you know, government regards it that way. I think it'll be interesting and we'd love to keep an ear to the ground just on what that research shows for you guys. Cause I think that'll be a really interesting talking point. Cause I think as you're saying, there's all the different flow on impacts of yeah, I guess the service people that are involved in dairy, but also what that means. But let's continue on the good news. So as you mentioned, high dairy price for farmers doesn't necessarily mean more milk, but what have, what has been the drivers of that? Because over the last few years, we've definitely been seeing and hearing that that milk price keeps increasing, which is good news for farmers. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen really strong commodity values internationally, even through COVID. Obviously, COVID sort of threw a spanner in the works of just about everything. But, you know, China, Chinese demand until recently was very strong. There was, you know, challenges with logistics. So so a lot of dairy buyers were, were buying extra product just to make sure that they continued to get it when they needed it. You know, consumption, everyone was at home cooking, using butter and all those kinds of things. So, so dairy markets were very strong. And then you add that, you know, the Australian factor of uh, we've got a, a really tight milk pool. So you had competition amongst processors to secure milk. And so those factors are what's driven, you know, very strong milk prices over the last couple of years. And, and particularly the season we're in now where, you know, the, 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 the price in, even in Southern sort of export regions is, is over 70 cents a litre for, for most farmers, which is yeah, kind of unheard of pricing, even, even in, even in real terms, it's uh, yeah, pretty significant historically. Continuing on the good news. So let's go to the consumer end. Uh, I think let's just cover off South Australia before we get to anywhere else. These guys and girls in South Australia bloody love flavored milk. Three times the national average. Is, do, you, do you have any insights into that? Or is this just consumers going absolutely bananas for different flavored milk? Look, I'd, yeah, I, as I said, I'd love, to, I'd love to go back to day one and find out what made them a bit different over there i think you know i suspect there's there's been some good marketing done in the past that's that's generated that you know maybe they're just a bit smarter than the rest of us because you know if you, you compare the nutritional value of, of milk versus coke or something like that you know i think they've got it worked out you know the growth in flavored milk nationally has been you know the last few years has been really phenomenal and, and one of the best kind of 
things you can see in the, in the supermarket is you go to the flavor milk case and there's just, you know, the level of product innovation, you know, different flavors and gimmicks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just, I just enjoy looking at it. It's been a real value driver for the industry as well, especially when we went through kind of 10 years of $1 a litre white milk, private label white milk. You know, flavoured milk was one of those places, you know, dairy companies could really get, get some dividends, you know, add some value to the consumer, but also be, you know, selling at a premium price. So, you know, I'm a big fan of flavoured milk, even, even with inflation running as it is, it's getting a bit, getting a bit expensive, but yeah, a lot of value back into the supply chain. Worth its weight in gold. And a fun bit of trivia, we actually interviewed Ned Brockman a few weeks ago. And you know, the one drink which he really turned to as part of his run across Australia was chalky milk. He's actually trying to bring out his own branded chocolate milk. So there you go. More product innovation. Yeah. What... Everyone wants to be part of it. The, the other really interesting piece in this report, and I guess it's this, this trend away from low fat and yeah, or well, low fat dairy products, but especially in milk. Full fat is back. 71% of all sales were full fat milk. Absolutely. Up, up from about 60%, you know, 10 years ago. It's, you know, which doesn't sound like much, you know, it's only 10%, but, you know, in the, in the scheme of a really mature market that's been around for, you know, generations, literally generations, it's a huge change. And, and I think a big part of that revolves around the, um, the the evolution of, of health science over the last decade or, you know, in the last decade where it actually became apparent to, to people who, who maybe should have known all along, but that, you know, dairy fats are actually not bad for you. You know, fat, fat isn't just kind of a single category of which, you know, you, you, you want less of it. Yeah. You know, dairy, again, you know, full cream milk is extremely nutritious and then that's, that's influenced consumers, I think, you know, that, that permission to have it. But also, you know, things like butter, you can, you can use butter for cooking. It tastes better. It's more functional and it's, you know, it's actually not going to kill you. So, you know, the same thing happened with eggs before that. So health science has really supported that, but also consumers wanting a more natural product, you know, that, that you, you, you get a certain segment out there, it'll go off. You've taken the fat out. What have you put in? Or, you know, you, you've, you've messed with it somehow, watered it down, uh, all those things that started to kind of emerge around, you know, that people think about all, all different food categories, but just wanting a milk that hadn't been, you know, had had as little done to it as possible. Mm. And, and, and full cream milk really fits that bill. It's a pretty simple product. And so across the report, is there anything else that really stands out to you in terms of what's happening either here at a farm gate level, consumer level, or in maybe more interestingly, globally as well? Well, one of the real things we're picking up globally is just that as, as people have noticed, like we, we came out of COVID thinking, you know, thank goodness everything's back to normal. And, and 2022, it was a pretty wild year for, for back to normal. You know, we've got this, you know, this massive conflict in Ukraine that's really, you know, set a lot of things in motion geopolitically, but, you know, we've seen inflation and, and cost of living rising and all the cost of production for, 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 you know, agricultural products and, and everything else. And, and so I think it's, the, the 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 thing we're trying to pick up on I think things are really margins are really good in dairy at the moment the settings are very positive for farmers but it's worth keeping in mind that we're in a really you know really volatile kind of world out there and and I think we're gonna you know we're gonna see things start to rock and roll a bit over the next few years and there's 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 opportunities there but you certainly want to be you know you certainly want to see it coming if you can rather than you know expecting things to be the same forever. Yeah, well, and I think that's probably one of the key things behind this podcast is just short, sharp, help get people across the things that they really should know about, but they need to become experts at it, but some really interesting trends happening there. So John, thank you so much for joining us. No, pleasure. Thanks for having me.